morning. Glad to see everyone here this morning and to see some visitors with us. And we just want you to know that you are our honored guests and we're glad to have you uh, with us this morning as we worship our Lord and Savior and our God the Father this morning. We're going to be talking about the church. Uh, the church in Matthew chapter 16, and I'll put this here up on the board in these scriptures, starting in verse 13, Jesus uh, is talking to his disciples, and notice what it says. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say that you are a Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven." And the point is that we're making this morning is right there in verse 18. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 is the first time that the word church is used in Scripture. And Peter's, uh, based on Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said he would build his church. It's that rock-solid truth, uh, the solid foundation that Jesus says, I will build my church. And now notice it hasn't happened yet. But, and notice that Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. And in verse 19, he interchanges the word church with kingdom. The kingdom is equivalent to the church. We'll fast forward a little bit into Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we are very familiar with as the birth of the church. Right? That's what we've kind of nicknamed that, that chapter, the birth of the church. And notice in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 38 or 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? See, Peter had just preached the first gospel sermon, the, the day of Pentecost, the day that Jesus said uh, that, that his church would come into existence. And, and the Jews wanted to know what they must do. They, they just learned that they had cru crucified the Son of God. And Peter said to them in verse 38, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Well, we, we might ask ourselves, what were they added to? Uh, the, this verse 41, they were added about 3,000 souls that day. What were they added to? Well, if we went down to verses 46 and 47, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from the house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, the New, uh, New American Standard Bible uh, translates, and the Lord was adding to their number. But if you have the New King James or the King James this morning, you'll notice that the translators say the church, that they were added to the church. And so from Acts 2, we read of the existence of Christ's church. So what about the church? 
You know, when, when I, uh, what do I mean, what do, don't I mean when I use the word church? You know, I'm not speaking of the, the bricks and the nails and the, the build, this building here. I'm not speaking of uh, the many denominations that we see throughout the community. Uh, I'm not speaking of your church or my church, but I'm speaking, speaking about the New Testament church that we read about in the scriptures, about that church that we read about in the Bible. Uh, we claim, we make no claim to perfection we're always seeking to improve, but we're following that example. In Acts chapter 2, if you're still with me there, in verse 42, we notice that the early Christians, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. See, that, that's the, the early model that we have of the New Testament church, and that's simply what we want to be here this morning. And there are so many lessons that we could do this morning about the church we could talk about the organization, the structure of it, but I want to focus on three aspects of the church this morning. And eventually we'll get into some of those other lessons uh, on another time. But what I want to focus on this morning is how God describes the church, you know, what metaphors, what images he uses for us, uh, how he wants to convey the church to us. And then I want to notice how we can identify the church. What is that singular thing that, that makes the church special? And then finally, the last point is, and it's not necessarily a point, but it's more of a plea, uh, that we need to see the necessity of the church. And so this morning, let's begin our lesson by talking about the, the church in metaphors. You know, if someone were to ask you, what is the church? Well, what would you say? How would you answer them? Maybe you'd say it's a group of people who belong to Jesus Christ. And that's a great way to describe it. Maybe you'd say it's a blood-bought group. Again, sure, that's the Lord's church. The word church is used in the New Testament a couple of different ways, distinctive ways. The one way is to describe a local body. Uh, you know, when, when Paul's writing to the, the Thessalonian church, he, he writes it to the church at Thessalonica. When he's writing to the church at Corinth, he writes it to the church uh, of God who is at Corinth. Uh, the church here in Columbia, Kentucky, is the local church, the local congregation, the local body. But most of the time in Scripture, it's in reference to the universal church. And that, uh, that includes the whole entire spectrum of the church, all the saved of the world. Matthew 16, 18, when Jesus said he would build my church, he's talking about that church. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, when, uh, when Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. That's the church that he's speaking of, the church universal, the, the, the church that includes all the saved of all the world. Well, what is a metaphor? You know, it's, a, it's an image. It's a figure of speech. You know, if I were to say that this person has a heart of gold, I'm not saying they literally have a heart of gold, but, you know, their heart is pure. It's valuable. And so uh, the Bible does this very often as well to help us understand the importance of the church. Uh, sometimes in Scripture, it describes the church as the bride of Christ, right? that, that we as the church are the, uh, is the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom and we are married um, in this analogy, in this image to Jesus Christ. We have that sort of a relationship. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, the, the Bible talks about the church as being this building. And the foundation of this building is the, the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. And Jesus Christ is that chief cornerstone of the building. That's how important uh, the church is. But this morning, let's notice a few of these as we go through them. The Bible describes the church as a kingdom. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, and of course this is in the Old Testament uh, when the church was not in existence yet. 
that Daniel is prophesying to King Nebuchadnezzar. And he, he tells them that there's going to be a day when, when uh, the Roman Empire is going to be crushed. And all these other empires that are in existence, the Babylonian Empire, the Medes and the Persians, the, the, the Grecian Empire. And there's going to be a day when that kingdom, those kingdoms will be destroyed. But God is going to create a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom is going to crush those other kingdoms and it will itself endure forever. Well, as we come into the New Testament, again, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19 that we uh, looked at this morning together, we noticed that Jesus said that he was going to build his church. And then in verse 19, he says that, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, right? The keys of the, uh, the kingdom of heaven is the equivalent to the church. And Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul said this. Listen to what Paul said to the Christians in Colossae. He said, Jesus, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. See, we are now as Christians in his kingdom. It's a kingdom. And so because we are in a kingdom, that implies that there is a sovereign leader, a king which is over us. And of course, that is Jesus Christ. He is king. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. And as Christians, we are subject to the king. We are obedient to him. We're obligated to be obedient to his commands. You know, the church is not a democracy. Uh, It's we can't legislate rules. Uh, We can't vote upon God's design of the church, but we follow the authority of Christ. And there's, uh, with a kingdom, there's a clear-cut relationship between the king and his subjects. Uh, you, we understand that. But this is no typical kingdom, and this is no typical king. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, notice this. So well, let's start in verse 4. Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, he has made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You notice that there in Revelation uh, that we are told we are part of that kingdom and that Jesus has released us from our sins uh, by his blood. Again, this is no typical kingdom because we have the king that has done great things for us. Notice what also God wants us to understand about the church is that it's like a physical body. Look with me in Ephesians chapter one, starting in verse 22, Ephesians chapter one, starting in verse 22. It says here, as Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, he says, And he put all things in subjection under his feet, being Jesus, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. And as we notice here, as God is giving us another description of the church, that Jesus is the head of this physical body. And the body, we're told in these passages, is the church. And, of course, the church is made up of the members, the the Christians. The body and the members are under the headship of Christ. And that's what we're trying to uh, understand in in these scriptures is that Jesus is the head. The head uh, makes the calls. He, He has the authority. And so as his body, when he says move, we move. 
Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, as each member of the body is essential and has its own function, so each member of the church has a contributing role to play. And we see that through Scripture, you know, that it talks about how some of us may be the hands of the church, some of us may be the feet of the church, some of us may be the, the pinkies or the pinky toe, the, the pinky on our fingers. Uh, it, and the point is, is that we all have a role to play within this physical body, within the church. And no part of the body is, is less important than another. And the, the point is, is that the body, of course, is unified. You know, if I'm going to walk over uh, towards this wall, uh, both of my feet will start moving in that direction, and they're unified to that direction. And that, of course, is the same thing with the church. Right? Jesus is the head of the church. He has the authority to make the rules, and we obediently follow his authority. And so we are walking in coordination with Jesus. We are walking the same way. And so we've noticed that, that the church is also like a physical body, but also we want to notice that the church is like a family. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul again says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And again, we see this throughout the New Testament. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul describes the church as the household of God, or the, or the household of faith. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, it's described there. And of course, what does it mean to, to have a household? Uh, the household of God, the household of faith. Well, that, of course, implies that there is a family relationship, that there is a family that resides within uh, this home structure, this family structure. And, of course, God is the Father, Jesus is the Son, and Jesus is our brother, our brother, according to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. You remember in Luke chapter 8, when Jesus is giving this parable uh, to the the people, he's talking about the lamp uh, of light in our lives, and the people come to him, and they say, Jesus, your your mother and your brothers, they're outside wanting to talk to you. They're wanting to get you. And you remember Jesus' response? He says in Luke chapter 8, verse 21, he says, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus considers those who follow his words to be his mother and his brother, his family. And, of course, within a family structure, you know, parents are over their children. The children are in subjection to their parents. And, again, God wants us to understand that as we are to be submissive to our father. In Hebrews chapter 7, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, we notice that God... He provides discipline. That's something that maybe we don't like necessarily to think about. But as an earthly father provides discipline to his children, God also provides discipline to his spiritual children. And he actually says in those verses that, you know, if you don't receive that spiritual discipline, uh, then you're not truly a, a legitimate child of God. God expects earthly fathers to discipline their children and God disciplines them, as the scriptures say, for good. It may, not be see, it may not seem joyful at the present time, but it's training us. But again, the, the, this household structure, this family structure, you know, this is another metaphor that God uses that he wants us to understand how the church is to act in this world, like a family. Galatians 3, 26 and 27 says, we are all sons of God through faith. Right? Christians are, are sons of God, uh, adopted uh, sons and daughters of the king. And so, you know, through these word pictures, hopefully we can better understand our relationship to the church, right? that it's a kingdom, uh, that, that it's a family, that it's a body. 
But also this morning, I want us to talk about the, the second aspect of the church, about the church and identity. You know, we can identify the church by this distinguishing mark, and that is simply our assembling together. You know, it's not imperative that any of us know the, the original Greek language, which the, the New Testament was uh, written in. And that, of course, is why we have our English translations. And so we don't necessarily need to know that. But from time to time, we draw attention to a few important words in, in uh, Scripture uh, from the original Greek, like agape. You know, we've talked about agape love from time to time. And we talk about the word baptizo, uh, what it means to, uh, what baptism means to be immersed. And another key word that we want to understand is ekklesia. The Greek word ekklesia means called out into or for an assembly. Uh, this is what the word church is time and time again translated. The ecclesia of God, the church of God. Uh, it is a called out group. It, again, it's the most common t- word that is translated church. Uh, sometimes in scripture we, we notice, uh, you know, they'll describe the church as holy ones and saints. Or even a couple of weeks ago we talked about uh, the peculiar people. But ecclesia, church, is translated that way over a hundred times in scripture. And this word, it started out as a very common generic word. Uh, In Acts chapter 19, uh, we notice it in verse 32 and in verse 39 and in verse 41. And we notice that it wasn't always a religious term. You know, Paul is in Ephesus and he's teaching and preaching in Ephesus. And he's telling the people that, you know, your, your idols are no good. And so some of the people who were working in Ephesus, uh, as Demetrius the silversmith, they weren't happy about this. They weren't happy that their, their work uh, was under attack, the things that they were doing uh, or creating for the people. And so uh, they uh, inspired a revolt. They inspired a ro- revolt before uh, the people. They brought uh, the people who were following Paul uh, out in front of the people. And notice in Acts chapter 19, verses 32, uh, what it reads. It says, So then some were shouting one thing and, and some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. Well, that, that word assembly there is ecclesia, the same word that is translated church. Uh, most of the time. And so uh, what the point is, is that this word wasn't always uh, a religious word. But when it is in the context of coming together to worship God, it means to be called out, to be called out into an assembly uh, for worshiping God. Again, in in the old days, before fire departments, before telephones, you know, if you were asleep in the middle of night and somebody went and rang the the town bell, uh, you knew that you needed to get up and get a bucket of water and go out and help put out that fire. You were called out uh, of your home uh, to attempt to prevent that fire. Again, that is ecclesia, to be called out uh, for this assembly, for this reason. Jesus said, Matthew 16, 18, I will build my ecclesia. Again, to be called out, this, this group. This is the distinguishing characteristic identity of the church, that we are a called out people. And maybe you've heard it this way, that people often say, the church is the people, not the building. Right? The church is the people, not the building. When you think of the word, or excuse me, when you think of the Columbia Church of Christ, what comes to mind? When you think of this local body, is it this building here at 501 Jamestown? Is it the, this auditorium? Is it this podium, this baptistry? Is that what comes to mind immediately when you think of the church here in Columbia? Or is it the people? 
See, when, when the, Paul was writing to the, to the churches back in the first century, there was no building that he was writing to. There was no address he was writing to. He was simply writing to the people, the group of Christians who were meeting there in those cities to, to worship God. And we also need to cultivate that mindset. And I know that during this pandemic, uh, our assemblies have, have been damaged a little bit. You know, there are some times when, when assembling just wasn't an option for us. Uh, but when we choose not to assemble, by definition, we are uh, denying the true meaning of ecclesia, uh, being called out into this assembly. Uh, we see this throughout uh, Scripture, the, the attitude uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, and in Hebrews 3.13, that the, creature, the, the Scriptures emphasize the early church's daily interaction. In Acts 2, verse 46, this is daily. They, they were meeting and, and having meals together. The Hebrews writer in Hebrews 3.13 was telling them that that day by day encourage one another so that you will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There is a design to the church that God had in mind that we are to assemble, to assemble and to help one another with these things. And so the word ecclesia, it means we are an assembling people. We, We hunger to assemble. If you would turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, and I want to notice a passage here. In Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 22, here the Hebrews writer, he's contrasting the Old Testament with the New Testament, the Old Covenant with the New Covenant, that we have a better covenant under Jesus, uh, that, that things are better now, uh, the, they're, the, they're more perfect, and he's contrasting a few things from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, notice, starting in verse 22, he says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to sprinkle blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Did you notice there in verse 23, it talks about the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven? You know, have you ever considered what we're doing here this morning? That, that we've been called here to assemble and to worship God? Uh, that what we're doing here this morning is dress rehearsal, right? This is a dress rehearsal for what we will be spending eternity doing. And if worshiping the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit doesn't get you excited, doesn't you know, pump you up, get you um, encouraged to be here, you're going to be miserable in heaven, right? Because that is what we are going to be doing day after day, hour after hour. We shall always be with the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. You know, our citizenship is in heaven already. A great reunion is coming. And we assemble here, but we will assemble in eternity, And so we identify, we, the church, identify as the assembled. This is the identity of the church. And finally, what I want us to notice, and again, I I said that this last point is more of a call to action, is about the necessity of the church. You know, there's a popular claim that people will say is, you know, I'm fine um, without being in the church. You know, all, all I need is Jesus, but we know that's not the case. Uh, Look at this and follow along with me here. Ephesians 5 verse 23 tells us that Jesus is the Savior of the body. And Ephesians chapter 4 verse 4, the same book, tells us that there is but one body. And within the same book, Ephesians chapter 1, 
Again, we are told that the church is that body. So therefore, Christ is the savior of the church. Right? So if we are not part of the church, if we are not in the church, if we have not been added to the church, in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, we do not have a savior. We don't have a savior. Barrett Baxel, uh, I'm going to screw the name up, but uh, Batsel Barrett Baxter, who is a great gospel preacher from times past, uh, in one of his books, The Family of God, he, he mentions this. He says, uh, often people ask, will the good people of all churches be saved? And first he says, our response is, you know, you're asking the wrong person because, you know, I'm not God and I can't answer that. God alone knows. But again, people will ask, will the good people of all churches be saved? And our response should be, not only are you asking the wrong person, but you're asking the wrong question. See, when Jesus died, his blood bought the church. And the real question ought to be, how can all of mankind be members of the Lord's church. And that's what we want to emphasize this morning is how can we be members of the Lord's church? Uh, It's the only church that we read about within scripture. It's the church that promises eternal salvation. And we know that over the past 2,000 years, man has blundered and fractioned the body of Christ into thousands and thousands of pieces. And the only real solution to this problem is to return to that pattern that we see in the New Testament. That church that we read about in Acts chapter 2 and what they did uh, as they worship God uh, each and every day. There is a story of a girl uh, who was watching, helping her mother cook the Christmas ham. And she saw that her her mom was slicing the end off of the ham and throwing it into the trash. And she asked, Mom, why? Why did you throw that perfectly good piece of ham in the trash? And and she said, well, I just don't know. uh, That's how uh, my mother always do it. Maybe go ask your grandma. And so the little girl goes and asks grandma, Grandma, why do you slice off the, 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 the end of the ham and throw it into the trash? And she says, well, you know, I really don't know. That's just how my mother taught me how to, how to cook the Christmas ham. And so maybe you should go ask her. So the, the little girl goes, asks great-grandma, great-grandma, why do you cut the end off of the ham? And she said, well, you see, dear, when, when I was your age, we could only afford one pan. And the Christmas ham was always too big to fit in that pan. And so I had to cut it off to make it fit. Well, the point is uh, of this the story is that that is where we are in the religious world today. Uh, that, uh, no longer are we uh, seeking out the truth or what the word says in Scripture, that we are just following what the traditions that have happened over and over and over again. But we need to go back. Right? We need to go back to the Scriptures, read uh, what God's word says about the church, to follow the, the pattern that's been set forth here. Salvation is to be found in the church and his church alone. And our concern this morning is to simply be New Testament Christians. And in that midst of this dark and discouraging uh, religious landscape, there is a ray of hope. We, We plead with you this morning. Return to New Testament Christianity. Return to that standard. Speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. Go back to the Bible in all things religious. You know, lay aside our preconceived notions, our human traditions, our creeds, the doctrines of men. Put those things aside and let's just be New Testament Christians. And we can be a member of that church today. Just like in Acts chapter 2, when they decided to uh, repent and be baptized, we're told that they were added to the church. Well, what about the church this morning? I hope and pray that this lesson this morning inspires each and every one of us to take the seriousness of the church uh, into consideration that we are to keep it pure and holy, unpolluted from opinions and carnal desires, 
to value the family aspect of it, to value the kingdom aspect of it, that I have a sovereign Lord and Savior above me, and to value the body aspect of it, that we are to walk in unison with one another, to remember that we are the called out of an assembly. That's our purpose. That's why we come together. The church is not this building here, but it's us. We could go out in the parking lot and assemble for the next five weeks, and we will still be the church. We are the called out. And we also we need to understand the necessity of being inside the church. Again, the church is the body of Christ. Christ is the savior of the body. And if we are not inside the body, we are not saved. We need to be careful to say, again, that as Christians, as those who follow the New Testament pattern, we claim no perfection in ourselves, but we do not hesitate to urge everyone to be part of the church that we find in the New Testament. So this morning, uh, our plea again with you this morning, if you're here with us and maybe you're not a Christian and maybe you have not been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and, and been added to the Lord's church, we would love the opportunity to study with you or to help you uh, to become a Christian and to begin that walk. The Bible tells us that we need to hear the word of God, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of past sins, confess Jesus as Lord, and be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. And at that point, the Lord will add you to his church and we will live a faithful life for him that point going forward. But this morning also, maybe you are a Christian. Uh, and maybe, maybe church hasn't been uh, a necess- necessity in your mind. Maybe, maybe uh, you've taken it for granted. And maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you want to come back to the church. This is no better time to do that than now. Again, we, we don't know the time or day or the hour when, when our Lord Jesus will come back to receive those uh, and take them to, uh, to the Christians and take them to heaven. We just don't know. We don't know what tomorrow, tomorrow affords us. And so our plea with you this morning... Make those desires known today. Take care of those things now. Uh, Come forward now and make your desires known as together we stand and sing.